Hello, I'm Samia Aryan. I'm the founder of Fempeak, a women-led inclusive platform where visionary individuals come to gain live access to global leaders, learn about cutting-edge topics in macroeconomics and Web3, and stay ahead of the curve in the fast-paced world of business and technology. My guest on today's podcast is Catherine Muller, Managing Director of Daxi, a leading crypto wealth company focused on helping people build long-term wealth with this asset class. Catherine is in a unique position as a woman and as an industry leader, raising the awareness of the general public about the opportunities in crypto as a meaningful asset class. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure you will too. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about our first ever sponsor on this podcast, Athletic Greens. For those of you who know me, you're probably aware that I'm a bit of a health and productivity nerd, and I take a lot of supplements every day to be able to function at my 15-hour day routine. For the past few weeks, I've started taking Athletic Greens AG1 every morning, and I've been absolutely loving the mental clarity I feel. I also have ADHD, and I feel it helps me stay more focused. The team at Athletic Greens kindly sent me a beautifully presented box with several months worth of the product, and I shared some of it with my colleague Lola. But after a few days, I was loving the product so much that I jokingly told Lola, I think I may have to have it back. Now everyone on our team wants to get on their own Athletic Greens routine. Over the coming weeks, I will tell you more about my experience with this amazing all-in-one supplement and sport drink as I continue to use it on a daily basis. One of the things that just came to my mind as we were preparing for this conversation was that when we are talking about women, you know, we are always the women in crypto, we are always minimizing their role, we are minimizing our investment in getting more women into crypto, you know, and, and the, these projects and talking about, for example, the way that uh, you're thinking about your outreach, your marketing. My point is that if we continue to minimize women's role, then it's harder to get more women in, right? Like, so, so tell me a little bit about you as a woman leading a crypto-based um, company and what has been your observation of um, you know, the way that companies are, what are companies trying to do to bring more women in? You know, yeah, how, sure. what are they doing to, to actually get more women involved? Because this is a huge uh, portion of the market. You know, women are half of the population and they are not in the crypto market. Like majority of them are not. So it would make sense to actually invest in bringing more women into it. And uh, almost nobody is doing it. Yeah. So look, like you, I find a lot of the dialogue around women in financial services quite patronizing. So look, I've been working in some of the world's biggest banks um, and asset managers. And if I had a pound for every time someone assumed I was, you know, there to make the coffee or carry the coats, I'd, I'd be a very wealthy woman indeed. So, you know, I, I came from conversations where I was sitting down with, you know, Deutsche Bank, City, and UBS, and you're kind of struggling to justify your existence. And particularly look at the dialogue around, you know, women investing. You know, we, as you say, we're half the population and nothing offends me more than it's really patronising or there's a picture of a handbag or something pink or there's a picture of a woman with kids. Well, not everyone's got kids or it's always like an intergenerational grandma, mum, kids. So, well, I've got loads of female friends that haven't got kids. I've got loads of female friends that have lost their mums or their mums are super glamorous. They don't identify with kind of that haggard old woman in the picture. So going from a woman in banking to a woman in fintech made me unusual. To be a woman in crypto is like, one stage removed like there's hardly any of us like you and me and a handful of others basically 
And there are some really interesting conversations going around about diversity in recruitment. So at Daxi, actually about half of our headcount is female. And when someone says to you, oh, my, my, my headcount is, is really impressive. I've got loads of women in the business. The next question you should ask is, yeah, but where? Because they're nearly always in the junior roles or they're in the more creative roles. And that's not good enough. So we've got a female MD. We've got a female head of brand. We've got a female head of learning. We've got a female head of ops in the UK. So I want to see women in those important roles. OK, and you need to recruit in a certain way. You need to make sure that your jobs are flexible. You need to make sure you're recruiting the right person with the right skill set. You need to make sure you've got, you know, a good, strong cultural fit. So it's one of the things that inspired me. Yeah, and I, I love the work that you're doing with Fempe. But one of the reasons why I was inspired to put together women who crypto, it wasn't women in crypto like you and I. It was anyone who was female who had an interest in crypto. And actually, the guys are invited too. We don't throw you out or anything. Um, so we're just a Facebook group. We have lots of webinars. Uh, they're all free. They're just big get togethers. Um, and I believe that we are the largest online group of women interested in crypto. I believe. No, I'm yet to be uh, corrected on that. And actually, the stuff we talk about is really interesting. So it's anyone who has an interest in crypto. And a lot of the dialogue around investing generally is not relatable. It's someone that's got a PhD in economics from Harvard. You know, it's someone whose you know, parents gave them a you know, million dollars to invest. And that's just not relatable. So we need more people out there that are genuine role models. We need some diversity in you know, ethnicity. We need some diversity in age. We need some diversity in social background. So our meetups are women from all walks of life. They've got kids, they haven't got kids, they're married, they're single, they're divorced. You know, there's a, there's a huge variety of experience there because I want people to say, you know what, that chick, she had three generations of owning a pet shop in her family and she got into crypto. Well, that girl over there, you know, she had a chain of hairdressers and she thought that was actually really backbreaking her work and now she's in crypto and what's it done for her life? And the stuff we talk about, you know, isn't just crypto, isn't just finance, it's not economics, it's not where the market's going. It's how do you fit this into your daily life? Is it a side hustle? Is it your main income? You know, are you working in crypto? Is this just a passing interest? What are you doing about, you know, your kids or your partner or your parents or dating? Honestly, the stuff that we discuss is just a massive variety. So I think for me personally, the crypto industry needs to do more to be accessible to women. It's too jargony. It's too brotastic. You know, it needs to be more welcoming, you know, generally. The whole point of crypto is that. It doesn't discriminate. It's fairer. You know, it's more democratic. You know, Bitcoin doesn't care if you're male, female, young, old, green, purple, blue. It just doesn't care. So that message needs to get out there from the businesses that are in the crypto space. You know, we need to be making sure those DNI policies are strong. You know, I've been to interviews where it's a 99% male workforce. And one of the things I always say is I worked in a building once where there's about 300 people. I think I was one of only two girls. I occasionally saw another girl in the corridor and we had unisex toilets. That was revolting after half 10, I can assure you. So let's make it more welcoming from the businesses. We can lead from the top. And more importantly, that needs to filter down to when we're interfacing with our users. You know, we need to make sure we've got a proposition that makes sense, because as you say, we're 50% of the workforce. We have wealth and we don't want to be patronized. Amazing. So, so that's interesting because um, if, even though, for example, you're a um, female MD of a crypto-based uh, company, but you, you're still aware of the fact that um, you know, women or like investing in marketing to women has to be like a small, smaller part of your, you know, your budget. Who makes that decision? Is that, is that a decision that comes from, for example, you, or is it from the owners? Why are we not investing more in like to me it, it doesn't make any sense because I'm like 
there is this huge population of women who have an interest, but they're afraid of going into it. And it's like the absolute sweet spot for a company like yours, because a lot of women are afraid of going into more riskier, uh, you know, types of investment. You focus more on the pedigree project, like, you know, the Bitcoin and, you know, you can tell me what other things that you invest in. Um, so wouldn't it make sense to actually focus more on bringing in more women? Or is it that, you know, focusing on the larger population, uh, it um, generates a faster return? Is that how, is that yeah, how sure. we see it? So look, um, I set up Women Who Crypto two years ago. So look, as an industry, we're you know, four to five years old. So we're a, a fairly new industry. Uh, we're just finding our feet, I think it's fair to say. Um, a lot of the early marketing for crypto was very jargony, you know, very masculine, very macho. If you didn't know, you weren't welcome. It was quite uh, inaccessible and off-putting. I think that's a lot of sort of the feedback that we get. So two years ago, I was inspired to set up Women Who Crypto. I've had, you know, I've won awards for being a woman in fintech, a woman, you know, I, I put out a lot of content along those lines. So that tends to come to me. So I was inspired to set it up. I had the backing of our founder, who's based in New Zealand. Um, my head of brand, who's also based in New Zealand, is female and has been a great uh, a great support in that. So I think it was probably my idea to start with. I think I had you know backing from the get-go, which was fantastic. And it, it makes sense to me. We don't need the information in a different format. Crypto as a whole was not making itself accessible. So at Daxi, we're a very education-led business. So we want to be, I think we probably are the leader in getting people from I'm intrigued in crypto to yeah, I want to, you know, want to get involved in that. And all the work that you're doing with Fempeak, yeah, you're hugely education-led. You know, the fact that you have enough content to put on webinars pretty much daily is phenomenal. And, you know, I dare say that probably wasn't the case two or three years ago. The the industry just didn't have enough, you know, going on. Yeah. So like you, we put out a lot of educational resources. You know, they're free. We have eBooks. We have this learning management platform just to encourage people to find out. Because what we're finding is, you know, if you start Googling crypto, you disappear down a black hole pretty quickly. For every one question you answer, you come up with another 10. So having that guided learning is, is really important. There's a lot of evidence that women actually are better investors. Um, there's a huge body of research there that says if you compare the decisions that women make to the decisions that men make, we work better in teams. We digest a broad variety of information more easily. We make better balanced decisions. So actually, women generally are better investors. And I'm just, there's, of course, exceptions to that rule. But actually, we just started from the point of view we need education. We need it to be accessible. And actually, the feedback we're getting from our female users, who are a substantial proportion of our user base, were saying, actually, we like a community-led feel. We love these meetups. Now, once a quarter, you know, we're not doing them hugely often. But as I say, the variety of topics that we cover, the variety of speakers that we have, just literally swapping their stories. This is how I got into it. This is what I did. Um, and actually, um, you mentioned that we are very much focused on um, sort of the blue chip crypto. So obviously, a lot of we're an exchange. There's plenty of those around. Um, a lot of the exchanges have got huge lists of coins. You know, as we record this podcast in January 2022, you know, if you wake up and decide that you want to buy crypto, you've got nearly 17,000 cryptos to choose from, right? That is a, and that's before you even look at NFTs or you decide to get into mining. So look, I want to buy crypto. Does anyone realistically have the time to look at 17,000 coins? You know, some of these exchanges that have hundreds of coins, you know, hundreds of pairs, it's a lot to get through. So we're not a trading exchange. If you want to day trade, you know, we're not the exchange for you. All of our users are long-term holders. Um, and of course, crypto being the best performing asset on the planet a couple of years in a row hasn't, hasn't harmed. 
Um, we have an £100 entry level, so lots of people just kind of put a toe in the water, get themselves comfortable before they purchase significantly more. So we're, we're focused on a very short list, uh, which is Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum. We do a bit of uh, Bitcoin cash, um, Stellar, Polkadot and Chainlink, and we're launching a handful of others. So um, we are not looking at meme coins. We're not into esoteric coins. Um, we have people that want to you know, hold for long term for wealth creation. Actually, it's interesting. No one's really sitting in that wealth space. Um, a lot of the chat around crypto is it's always a picture of a rocket. It's always the moonshot. It's always kind of cartoony and quite young and quite flippant. And actually, there's a lot of evidence that, um, you know, investors, retail investors are looking to put a really small proportion of their you know, wealth into crypto. There's a lot of credible wealth commentators that are now saying, actually, do diversify, do put 1% of your holdings into crypto. And look, that is a substantial global market. And they're not buying the meme coins, they're buying the blue chip. So we're in that wealth space. We're not about day trading. We find that lots of our users don't have the time or the inclination um, or the knowledge to day trade and they're after long-term wealth. And actually, I think lots of those routes to market that are coming out in crypto, particularly for me in the UK, and we now have people that are purchasing crypto using their ISA. So look, there's loads of um, you know good tax reasons why you'd use an ISA. Um, but look, that is a substantial, fairly old-fashioned, traditional financial structure. So we have people in their ISAs and pensions because they want the diversification, but they want it in a format and a language that they understand. And that's a marketplace uh, you know, we're, we're very excited about and we're, we're doing well from. That's amazing. So is investing using your ISA, is it similar to IRA in the US? Yes, they've often built up, you know, substantial holdings uh, within that structure. Um, and for tax reasons, they're not looking to, to liquidate them. They, they just want to be able to take advantage of that. And look, for people that are already purchasing traditional retail financial investments, and look, anyone in crypto that says, you know, we're anarchic, we're two fingers up at the bank, you know, we're, we're making sure the government can't touch my money. Well, that's great. But at some point, you need to either get from your traditional old fashioned fiat into crypto or back again, because right now you will be challenged to buy a house or pay for your grocery bill with Bitcoin. There are places that do it, but they're like, you know, one in one in a billion. So my view, and I talk about this quite a lot when I talk about financial infrastructure, is that crypto needs to integrate itself with what is currently there. It needs to be part of the ecosystem. And anyone that says otherwise uh, is both deluded and and wrong, right? They're, they're immature and wrong because it might be great that you bought, you know, your Bitcoin for a hundred quid um, and it's now worth 30 quid, 30,000 quid. That's fantastic. But at some point you need to offboard. So if you're using an exchange that doesn't have KYC and AML and doesn't have any regulation, that, that's not going to help you at all. So for us, when we are embracing and welcoming those traditional financial structures, that is a key part of that story and making sure that, you know, they're not butting up against each other. They're integrating really well. And that for a crypto industry as a whole will give you the widespread adoption that will get your Bitcoin to $100,000. So if you don't see that as a bigger picture, um, you are cutting your nose off to spite your face, in, in my opinion. And that's also the story, I think, about regulation. I think there has been at best a mutual distrust between regulators and crypto and to see regulators in the world saying actually you know what this industry is worth trillions of dollars now we need to take this seriously it's not niche it's not a small number of people in their parents basements you know sitting there mining bitcoin this is a substantial industry you know most of the world's biggest banks asset managers hedge funds are now purchasing crypto so we need to make sure there's a robust regulatory environment or those two worlds just can't interact and you know my opinion as an exchange is not 
do the bare minimum, you know, scrape through by the seat of your pants. You know, some of these big exchanges that say we don't need regulating because, you know, we're, we're, we're decentralized. That, that actually isn't the answer because with that attitude, you, you just can't get the interaction. Very interesting. So talking about regulations, where do you see this going? Um, and, you know, we are in the UK, which is uh, quite refreshing because uh, I speak to so many Americans and they don't see the kind of conversation that's going on here. You know, the whole conversation around crypto regulations is based on what is happening in the US and what Jerome Powell is saying and, you know, like what Gary Gensler is saying. So now what's happening in the UK? Is UK taking a back seat or is it leading the conversation in any way? What's the role of the UK in, yeah, sure. uh, in the crypto regulation? I am on my third blockchain business. I have personally been purchasing crypto for about four years now. 18 months ago, two years ago, myself and my colleagues, if we saw crypto being talked about in the mainstream press, we would be watching, oh my goodness, look, Bitcoin's been mentioned on you know BBC or CNN or whatever. We now don't bother because it would be a full-time job to do that, right? So personally, you know, I've been in interviewed as subject matter expert for BBC World News. I write for a lot of the mainstream British press who are intrigued about crypto. There's a lot more sort of general dialogue about crypto. A reasonable proportion of the UK population owns crypto. So I think our regulator has kind of finally woken up and smelt the coffee. You know, a couple of years ago, quite rightly, I regulated the FCA said, look, you need to make yourselves known to us. And we have what was called a temporary permissions list. So our regulator is definitely getting interested. There's a couple of things that are kind of bubbling in the background. So uh, the week that we're recording this podcast, the regulator has now said, we will hold crypto businesses accountable for advertising rules. So we need to make sure that the advertising for crypto is fair and not misleading. We had a whole bunch of adverts um, on our on our tube, uh, the, the trains, our, our capital's train system, which were deemed to be misleading. So we need retail investors to feel safe and protected. We need businesses to behave in a way which is credible. So look, some regulatory context for that, I think, is desirable. Um, I come under a bit of flack when I say, yeah, come on, bring on the regulation. It's good for the businesses, it's good for the firms, it's good for uh, retail investors. So there's a couple of things kind of bubbling for us. So better control of the advertising, which, which makes sense. There's a lot of chat around central bank digital currencies. Um, I've commented quite a lot on the, on the, in that for the press. So the important thing about that is, look, the Bank of England is not going to wake up and say, you know what, we should use Bitcoin. We don't need British pounds, we'll use Bitcoin. That is big fat not going to happen. What is interesting is that the majority of major economies, world banks, are looking to digitize their currencies. It makes perfect sense. It's cheaper. It's cleaner. It's it, it's easier to control. Imagine a world where they can see every pound moving. I mean, that will be such a blow for illicit activity. When people say, oh, you know that crypto, crypto is the currency of crime. I just roll my eyes because we've got a couple of millennia of cash doing the same and no one is as down on cash for the same reason. So look, if me and Sonia go out for a coffee, I pick up the bill, she owes me three quid for her Starbucks, a British bank will send me that three quid without any questions asked. If we do it through crypto, we have chain analysis. So there are many good reasons why using crypto technology for currency is a good thing, right? So if central banks can embrace intellectually the idea of crypto, that is a really good start. So it is my opinion in the near future, most of the world's population, when they use currency, will be using crypto technology in the near future, probably without even, with, without even knowing, right? So in the UK, we've kind of really held ourselves to this high standard of, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely a fintech hub. Yeah, we're great at fintech. And we are losing that, right? And I put that in a press quite a lot recently. If we don't take crypto as part of the fintech ecosystem more seriously, we are losing out big time, okay? 
because you'll know lots of people are making a lot of money out of crypto. There's lots of these business that are in hyper growth, you know, mine included. You know, we 20x our business last year. We're hiring people. Those people are earning good money. We have platform users that are making really good gains out of crypto and those gains are taxable. So you've seen quite a lot of chat from um, our taxation authority about saying, hang on, hang on, crypto is most definitely taxable. You know, we've got some very um, overt rules around what that is. Um, you know, we've got uh, all over the world people saying, okay, well, hang on. We know people are making money out of crypto. We'll be writing to the exchanges to find out exactly who and where and how and why, right? So if you're not declaring your taxable earnings on crypto, uh, you are doing yourself a, a massive misjustice. So I think we've got a few things, better advertising, uh, better regulation of those firms, a central bank digital currency, and actually Parliament, which of course is our political body, is now looking at crypto as an industry more closely. And look, I think it, they need to. I think it's long overdue. I think it's good for the industry and I think it's good for good for the users. I think there's nothing um, to be scared of. And I think that mutual mistrust, I think, in my opinion, has has festered for, for too long. Super interesting. Okay, so I think um, maybe the major difference between me and you is that I'm a bit more of an anarchist. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> you know? um, and I kind of like the idea of money and state being separate, similar to how we manage to separate religion and state. But it's better for humanity from the viewpoint of less corruption. Wherever you look at, you know, like I come from Iran originally, wherever you look at um, any country where the more control the state has over the money, the more corruption there is. Um, you know, part of the reason why there's less corruption in the West is that there is uh, this level of control thanks to representative democracy. And um, in places like Iran, Turkey, you know, like uh, all these countries where they, they are having a lot of trouble right now, it, there is democracy, but it's not full democracy. It's not a real democracy. It's really actually, you know, it's, it's really not democracy, right? And, um, and I think that you see a, a lot of corruption in those places. So, my question is, do you see a world where, um, I, I'm kind of guessing that your answer is probably no, because, because of the, the space that you are in and, and you have already mentioned that you, you think it's a good thing to kind of bring in more regulation into uh, the crypto space and, and vice versa. But my worry is that by doing so, we may be putting ourselves a step closer to, um, you know, a, a similar kind of structure to China. And, you know, we may we may be taking a step back from the level of democracy that we have reached so far. Do you not worry about if, if the government, uh, you know, and the, C, the CBDCs, you know, coming into the space, do you not worry about the state, the future state of democracy? Yeah, sure. So look, I think that like you, I share a a healthy enthusiasm for what crypto offers. I, I personally believe that crypto is fairer and more democratic for a hundred different reasons. You know, I think that to hold our politicians to account because there is an alternative system is a good thing. And look, um, the UK politics this week has just been an absolute shit show. I won't go into too much information, but it has been a particularly traumatic week to watch the conduct of our politicians over covid has not been great i think i will just part that one there without going in that that's a whole like another another eight hour podcast to talk about that in its own own right so i think that there is some really good reasons to think that 
crypto is a preferable financial system because it is allegedly immune to interference from governments. I totally buy that. That as a statement intellectually makes perfect sense to me. And particularly what you've seen over the COVID period is the wanton printing of money in major economies, right? So, oh, what a surprise. This week in the UK, it's been announced that we have the worst inflation in 30 years, right? So just basic things, you know, um, it's freezing cold in the UK. It's minus three today where I am. Our heating bills are hideous, the food bills are hideous, and there's people in the UK that's going to cause serious problems for. So lots of people have purchased crypto, particularly those with a finite supply, particularly Bitcoin, as a hedge against future inflation. The fact that it's, you know, had such a riotous rise is kind of by the by. People have bought it intellectually to hedge against future inflation. That's perfect. So I think that immune to interference is great. I think a distributed ledger technology, it keeps everyone honest, right? That the blockchain is immutable. So I can never say, yeah, no, no, somebody didn't send me that $100 worth of Bitcoin. Well, you clearly did because it's on the blockchain. So, you know, that information is out there. So that all makes perfect sense to me. I think the bit that I focus on is that there has to be a point of interaction between crypto and the old stuff. There has to be that interaction. And that's the point I'm interested in, actually, is how the two interact. Because look, you know, we're a relatively new industry. We, yeah, we've kind of been proving ourselves, we've been finding our feet. There have been scams, but equally there's scams and, you know, in traditional financial services. So it's kind of how, how we do that. And look, for people that are, you know, truly anarchistic, if you want to use um, decentralized exchanges, that's great. There will always be an audience for that. But equally, there will be an audience for people that say, actually, you know what, I want, you know, to understand where that exchange is based. I want to know who runs that business. You know, I want to know what regulation they're under. And I think those are um, two very different audiences. Um, and I would make the educated guess that the audience for regulated exchanges in reputable locations is a bigger audience than the audience that wants decentralized and will keep it on a ledger under their bed. I just think they're, they're slightly different audiences. I, I see what, what you mean with um, having more regulation or having clearer regulation, not necessarily Correct. more, yeah. right? Like clarity over, because one of the biggest things that is holding the crypto industry back right now is lack of clarity. Correct. But when you listen to, like I listened to the whole five hour crypto hearing, you know, and when you listen to things like that, I just think that, the biggest problem, and this is the problem that I discussed in my documentary, The Millennial Disruption, um, that was that I created in 2017 and released 2018. And the biggest issue is the difference uh, in the language that we understand as digital natives. And, and I don't even, you know, m millennials, you know, I don't necessarily say that we are 100% a digital native because as especially as an older millennial, you know, we came to this. So we started using technology in when, it were, when we were teenagers, whereas, sure. you know, the next generation, they grew up with it. Like, with, sure. you know, they, they, they had iPads in their hands, you know, by the time they were like two years old, right? In utero. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I always say, and this is what I talked about in my documentary, that digital is a language. You know, digital is a language. You are either digital native or you're not. If the majority of your regulators are baby boomers, you know, yes, essentially, yeah. right? Like it's very hard to expect them to understand what, what this is all about and, and yeah, how, sure. you know, so that's, so that is one of the hardest things, you know, like, do you feel that our regulators qualify to 
regulate an industry that yeah they- sure well look there's a couple of things i think you and i are quite interesting we're we're roughly the same age so we are on the cusp of millennial um, i'll often say that i don't really identify as a millennial my career has not taken a traditional millennial uh route you know i can afford to buy property you know i've enjoyed uh, some growth in house prices in the uk that you know the younger millennials you know haven't been lucky enough to enjoy so it probably comes down to the likes of you and I to try and bridge that gap. So exactly. if like me, you have sat in meetings with the FCA talking about crypto, there ain't sure a lot of middle, you know, middle-aged white dudes there, right? There's, there's not a massive variety of experience in the room. And I'm not sure if the crypto industry is talking to regulators, if you're comparing like with like, there's a list of things about the old world that just don't translate to the new world yes. and vice versa. So I think we're kind of feeling our way a little bit to come to you know some mutual understanding so the obvious one is kyc and aml right so clearly crypto has the capacity to be abused right so it makes perfect sense to me that some of the standards for kyc and aml have to be applied to crypto but equally we've got a whole bunch of technologies which better what's already there so for example we've mentioned chain analysis for example so i think that it is a struggle you are breaching a chasm to have that conversation but they need to do it. So in the UK, um, that as I mentioned a couple of years ago, they said, right, yeah, make yourself known if you want to be a crypto business in the UK. Um, and my understanding is that they had multiples more in terms of applications than they were expecting. This is all on record, you know, stuff you can find easily. So they were awash with applications that they didn't have the manpower to service, hence this temporary permissions. And now um, a number of exchanges are migrating from the temporary permissions to full permissions. So the fact that the department was so overwhelmed they couldn't deal with the incoming uh, workload you know I, and I would make a guess is it workload is it expertise or is it a combination of the two and I'll make a really good guess it's the latter so I think you know trying to educate regulators on what crypto does and what it can offer I think has been an uphill struggle so there's quite a few trade bodies now that are kind of banging that drum um, you know parliament taking a view on what crypto offers I think is a really good step because you know parliament the regulator are two different organizations so I think they're coming at it from slightly different angles. But look, I think that it's an ongoing conversation. You know, probably do uh, you know agree with Caesar when he says, you know, regulation is a journey. It's not an endpoint. You know, it's an ongoing situation. But I think if we don't get some experts in crypto into our regulatory bodies, that's going to be a, a serious challenge moving forwards. Well, I take my hats off to you because uh, if I was in that room, I would get too angry <laughs> oh, like, luckily it was a zoom it was, it was zoom oh, right, 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 YouTube videos. <laughs> you know you know like it's 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 quite hard to be able to communicate you know to people who have absolutely no um no idea interest yeah. and, and understanding right it's very look, it's a barrier to innovation that lack of regulatory clarity is a barrier to innovation and for the uk to say look we're a hotspot of fintech well, that is not true for crypto. So for businesses like myself, and this is not a story I'm sure you're hearing from just me, the FCA is not a pleasant body to deal with. We have one of the only regulatory bodies in the world where you can't fail up and say, look, we're thinking about doing X. What do you reckon? The, 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 the law around this is not quite clear. Can you let me know? So we're the only regulatory body in the world that says, well, you know, we'll, we'll just let people try that and then we'll let them know what they think afterwards. Well, look, you know, begging for forgiveness rather than asking for permission is not a pleasant you know, a pleasant Place to be. way to way to live your life, is it? So I think, you know, we do need to have both clearer regulatory frameworks, but I think they also need to be more accessible. And it's a huge, huge barrier to innovation generally, you know, not to have that. And if the UK misses out on the crypto piece of the pie, 
um, you know, that's going to be massively to, to the detriment of, of our great country. Yeah, especially after Brexit, you know, we've yes. already had that lovely uh, surprise. <laughs> so tell me about um, your experience as you're dealing with regulators. Do you feel that maybe women are more open, less open? You know, that's that's quite interesting to me to, to understand. Yeah, sure. I'm not sure I have a big enough data set to to make any very, Which is very sad in cases. itself. Right. Which is yeah. Very so I can think of I can only think of uh, one lady that I've dealt with from a regulatory capacity. I can't think of a single regulatory lawyer that I've dealt with. Um, so yeah, like with anything in financial services is like 98% male, which I'm sure wow. is is part of the problem. And how did they react to you being um, a lady? Um, so I don't think uh, the regulatory conversations I've had, I've ever been made to feel uncomfortable. I'm, I'm pleased to report, but you do, you do stick out a bit. Um, and look, you know, it, it is a weird position uh, in previous roles, like I say, to have worked in a building with 300 people and there's two girls. I mean, that that is quite a bizarre situation, really, when we're 50% of the population. Um, I've talked quite a lot about why I think that the sort of move to a lot more sort of remote working is good for women. So, um, look, I think we've moved away. The beginning of my career was very much a culture of presenteeism. You know, it was almost like proving that you'd suffered to like earn your stripes basically and that kind of gets passed down intergenerationally doesn't it so your managers go well I really suffered when I was in my early 20s so we're going to heat work on you and you look at all these interns that are literally committing suicide for mental health issues from having too much workload look at all the burnout you know I think those days are over now and I think we've moved to a much friendlier model of working so I say to all of my team members the person that is an expert on getting the best out of you is you so you tell me if you are mad for your sport and you always go for a swim at 6am so you want to start work at nine great if you're someone that like me gets caught at the beginning of the day at the end of the day because we're HQ in New Zealand I need a two-hour lunch break because I have calls between you know 7am and 9am and I always have calls between like 8pm and midnight so I need the middle of the day to do really exciting things like the food shop or to spend time with my partner or to see my kids or you know frankly you should have sports and interests and hobbies and whether that is your kids or you know you're really fond of your guinea pig or you know you're really into you know knitting I don't care you should be able to carve out time to you know chase those interests so I think you know particularly as an industry I think the the method of working has always been oh if you're a digital business you're more likely to work from home if you're a digital business you're more likely to have some flexibility and I think that becoming more entrenched in society generally is the best thing that's happened to women for a generation and I honestly would compare it to you know getting the pill or I would honestly compare it to getting the vote and when someone says to me what's the best thing about working from home full-time so we're actually um HQ New Zealand we do have a physical office uh, but we all work remotely and we meet meet once a month just kind of for, for sort of team culture reasons and that works amazingly well for me so for me personally um I've just had a baby I had four weeks off to have a baby in the late summer um, the whole of our team is actually training for an ultra marathon this year. So that's obviously, t- I've literally had a baby a few months ago. So I'm just starting that. I've got horses that I compete. I've got two kids. So the fact that I can be flexible to get that done is fantastic. The single best thing about working from home is if like me, you have a baby, you have to do about three loads of washing a day. The fact I can get washing in between meetings is like the single best bit of my career right now. And for me to say that flippantly is a joke, right? But to say that working from home is the best thing that's happened for a generation Um, is quite serious and I expect to see a lot more senior women in really high level posts because we allow them to do that and look I could write you a list of 50 women I know that are seriously competent and are probably more competent 
than the men that have filled the post they have left because they couldn't have flexible working. And I'm sure you could write a similar list or any woman listening to this will say, yeah, no, I've got stacks of female friends or stacks of women that I've come across in my career. So that level of flexibility, I think, is going to be absolutely a, a fundamental change uh, for the better that I expect to see out in the next five to 10 years playing out. Uh, I think it's a big change for us. That's really, really interesting you say that because I've also heard some completely different perspective from women who have said that because now they're homeschooling and, you know, because of the the uh, fact that they're um, working from home. So people think that, okay, or like the family members or the ch- children, right? they like, okay, you're home. So you need to give time to me, right? Um, so I think maybe for people who have slightly older kids, it's, it's in some cases, especially the homeschooling thing has been a very big uh, issue. Yeah, but, but so, I think um, all of that will sort itself out because in the beginning, yeah, sure. we didn't know what, what to do with this homeschooling thing right now. Yeah, sure. So um, I actually did have to homeschool. So I had a baby over the summer, but I also have a son who is now eight. So um, I know it varied all over the country and for different schools. I actually had a full academic year of homeschooling. Wow. So I had female friends that said, my goodness, I've got three kids. They're all being homeschooled. So I had a few of my friends that literally were saying, so my, myself and my husband, we tag team the kids. Um, I get up early and do my work from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then we swap. So basically these poor women were having literally a full work day followed by a full school day. And look, it was really, it was hard work. I'm very lucky. I have a very well-behaved eight-year-old. So I think he was six and seven when we were homeschooling. He's at a school, which is a Microsoft showcase school. So kind of the, the technology was really good. But actually, it was quite cool. So um, he'd be working on the kitchen table. So look, three years ago, if my kid walked in in the middle of this um, podcast, you'd be absolutely mortified. You know, I broadcast on BBC World News. If my kid walked in, you would literally just die. We had like literally memes around this poor guy that had his kid walk in. But it got to the stage over the homeschooling. We were like, look, I'm really sorry. We have this call every Monday at 11 about this project we're working on. My kid will be walking in because the printer's in here and he's had his maths thing broadcast. So yeah, no worries. And actually, you know what people's living rooms look like? I know that you've got cats. I've seen one of your lovely black yeah. cats. What's <laughs> the background now? You know, and it's a way of building rapport. And actually, my kid now knows how hard I have to work for my career. So he'll say things like, oh, mum was on BBC World News. 300 million people, you know, watch BBC World News. So actually, a little bit of interaction with, I don't just leave the house at half seven and come back at seven o'clock at night. Actually, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, he'll... Um, I do the score and um, I open up the app and see what crypto is doing and he knows that a day full of green is good news and a bit of red is less good news and you know he's asking me if he can put his pocket money into bitcoin so um yeah I think there's a lot to be said for you know the sort of slightly older kids yes it was a really traumatic time Uh, yeah of course women generally took more of that burden on of course but I think actually the fact that perhaps some of those older kids have seen their their mothers working and you know balancing all those spinning plates i'm not sure is is a bad thing and uh, be interesting oh. to see um if those uh if those kids once they're older have more balanced workloads in their relationships that would be an interesting question for sociologists to ask in you know 10 and 15 years time i think that's very interesting although uh if there is any work left in 10 or 15 years because yes. uh, you know because because the robots could be doing everything and and you know we could be who knows where what will happen to the society what's your views on the metaverse what are what are your thoughts on that have you been looking into that you know in terms of both investment and in terms of just like where the trend is going i think the direction of travel for the metaverse makes makes sense to me you know, I think um, Facebook rebranding its parent company is the single best bit of PR for the metaverse 
uh, as an industry that you could possibly ask for. So I think the metaverse is finding its feet. You know, anyone that's got teenage kids who's been, you know, held at ransom to buy various skins for games will tell you the metaverse has been a thing for a while. I think seeing it more broadly infiltrating society, I think, is is an interesting trend that we'll see. (laughs) Um, I was asked for some press comment a few weeks ago about whether there are any specific metaverse tokens that, I, that I've got my eye on. Um, my answer remains the same. I'm focused on blue chip crypto because there's plenty of application across blue chip coins in the metaverse. And look, it's finding its feet. You know, the metaverse is disparate projects right now. There's nothing really. It's quite difficult to get a sense of mm. what that e- ecosystem looks like. You know, it's disparate projects. You know, it's a concept and a trend that people have highlighted. Um, I'm not sure we've really got a sense of how big that is. You know, it makes sense to me that, you know, um, governments might say, look, we don't have a town hall now. We have it in the metaverse or, you know, we don't have we have a massive organization with, you know, 100,000 employees. You know, we don't have an annual conference now. We just do it in the metaverse. Like those things make sense. How that's monetized and how big an industry that will be, I think, remains to be seen. I think it's a trend that's coming in. Um, I don't think it's going to replace every physical meeting. You know, at some point it's nice to actually look in the whites of someone's eyes. But I think that industry is kind of carving its way out. And I think, you know, it's a great example of how crypto um, can, you know, be the pipes that, you know, builds that industry makes makes sense to me. Super interesting. I mean, this has this has shaped up to be one of my really favorite uh, conversations. Uh, really, really interesting. Do you have any daughters or do you only have no two boys? Yeah, I know. I did request last time a, a daughter so I could. I, but I was so convinced I was pregnant with a girl that I was literally, uh, my life ambition is to have like a doll's house, like a Victorian doll's house. And I was so convinced I was pregnant with a girl because I was so, so portly that I was literally like looking at antique shops and stuff. No, uh, I got a boy that doesn't sleep. So yeah, two boys, unfortunately. <laughs> that's oh, they're great. But, uh, that's so sweet. That's sweet. But whenever I have like um, a female friend has a baby girl, I'm like straight there with all the pink stuff, you know, I'm buying all the dresses and any excuse to go and buy girly stuff for my female friend's daughters was uh, uh, something that I don't get to indulge on my own, unfortunately. That's really cool, though, because, um, you know, we used to get some uh, feedback from certain people saying that, oh, your website has got a lot of pink. And I'm like, so what? You know, it doesn't mean that, like, uh, you know, I like pink, you know, uh, like just because we are a female uh, driven platform that talks about technology doesn't mean that we have yeah, to yeah sure and look we're the same you know I'm I'm probably I, I like a bit of pink in my life I also like getting covered in mud when I'm out running or out horse riding or what have you so I think there's a lot of variety of experience and actually interesting enough one of the things we try and do with women who crypto is to have a huge variety of female experience and actually interesting we've always said you know men are welcome you know we're not throwing you out um, and actually we do get, they're always a bit sheepish. Like they always come in at the end and they've always got their camera off. And, yeah. you know, it was like, if, if it's someone called, I don't know, Clive, you can you can work out that's probably a dude, right? No, well, welcome, come on in, you know. So it's interesting. I don't think, I think some of the sort of female dialogue can be quite hostile and quite anti-male, which I, I just don't think is helpful. No, and I think cool. if you're actually after equality, um, you need to make sure that, you know, you're presenting that equal playing field. Um, and I think it wants to not be at the expense of our of our male colleagues and other platform users. Something I feel quite quite strongly about. Super interesting. So, do you have as a final word? Do you have um, any thoughts? Anything you want to say to uh, the women who listen to this podcast? And um, is there anything that you want to leave them with in terms of how yeah, sure about? Uh, their investments how they you know um about this industry um and all that stuff 
I think women are the most phenomenal community builders. Um, that's one of the things that we set out to do at Women Who Crypto, something that you're doing an amazing job of at Fempeak. And look, there are all these networks and communities that you can tap into. Um, they're generally very accessible. You know, um, you should be able to, you know, we're in a world now where there is social media, there is LinkedIn, you know, there is Facebook. You can get access to these people. So, you know, make sure you're part of a community and a tribe that you're comfortable with. So I think that's the first thing, you know, find, you know, a community or communities that you want to be part of. You know, crypto is increasingly welcoming to women in a way that it just wasn't. I'm sure you'll agree, you know, even maybe a year ago, certainly, you know, two, three years ago. So look, spread the word. You know, I think crypto only exists if we can get enough critical mass for the industry. And look, for you and me that have been watching crypto for, you know, two, three, four years, um, you couldn't ask for more. You know, if someone had said to me 18 months ago, you know, you'll be getting, we literally get daily inquiries for press comment from mainstream British press outlets, right? And if someone said to me that two, three years ago, I would have said, get out of town, you know, you need to have a lie down. So that crypto message needs to get out there. You know, that community needs to grow. So if you are female and you are listening to this or watching this, you know, spread that message because you will have female friends that need to hear that. And crypto as an industry needs to have, um, you know, that message getting out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. That was really, really helpful. Uh, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Catherine Rolla. This is a topic that I've been getting increasingly interested in, and I've also started a daily YouTube series to explain a lot of the core concepts in these areas. So be sure to check it out and subscribe to the channel. Also, find the Somiarian podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. Finally, if you're not yet a member of Fempeak, head over to fempeak.ai, register and join to stay in the know and ahead of the curve.